Hello and welcome to online version number 16 of Grapevine, brought to you by the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. Officially entitled Volume 40, Number 28, this is recorded on the 10th of July 2020. In this week's news, the seafront struggles back into life and we have several reports on how the first day went. The Norfolk Pillar, colloquially known as Nelson's Monument, looks set to be closed this year. And for the third week running, Caestus in the news. This time, however, for a village disagreement. And one of Cunard's most famous ships is sitting off the Norfolk-Suffolk coast. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me from home is this week's newsreader Aileen. So let's start for the first part of the news. Hello everyone, this is Aileen, and this is recording for the week ending on the 10th of July. Hot weather seems to have disappeared, and in fact, as I'm speaking this week, we've had a bit of rain. Can't really believe we're into July now. However, that is what we are at. Still corona... Still locked down, although easing a little bit. I hope everyone is keeping safe and well. Um, And we're rapidly getting towards the end of the year and wondering what's going to happen. A lot of the news is corona-related items. So the first, it's been a long time for relief at Joyland as the sails trundle again. Uh, Sails, I meant snails, uh, pardon me. Relief was in the air on the Great Yarmouth seafront as Joyland reopened with its famous snails trundling again after an extended hibernation. The theme park, which celebrated its 70th birthday last year, would normally be thronged with families on the first weekend of July. And co-owner Michael Cole said he had to keep checking his phone to remind himself it was in fact mid-summer and not late March, when the park traditionally throws open its gates again after the winter break. Today feels like the first day we open in spring, he said. We can't get our head around it. It's a bit strange. Although traders along the seafront are concerned about the impact of coronavirus on the lifeblood of the summer season, Mr Cole said the main emotion on Saturday was relief. It's been a long time. It's good to be open and it's great to see families coming again, he said. He was reasonably happy with the number of visitors and what had been billed as Super Saturday when lockdown restrictions on the hospitality sector were loosened. Sounding a note of caution, he added, We're just in the lap of the gods with what's going on and what's going to happen this summer. We have no idea what the trading conditions will be. Mr Cole also wanted to emphasise that visitors to the park had been behaving impeccably. At the park's entrance on the Golden Mile, families were greeted by two smiling and visor-clad members of staff. As at other establishments, a one-way system is in operation and hand sanitizer stations are located at intervals along the path. The Scagliossi family, who have relatives in Great Yarmouth, had travelled from Essex. After enjoying the Spook Express, Lilia, who was seven, 
ran from the ride back to her mum and yelled, that was awesome. Andrew Fountain took his eight-year-old daughter Sky on the snails for the first time. He said it's the first time she's been out since lockdown. It's just great to get out. Wendy Oakley from Lowestoft watched as her daughter Sarah Wake and granddaughter Holly May enjoyed a ride. She said it's brilliant. The one-way system, the hand sanitizers, it's absolutely brilliant and it's not too busy, she said. Lockdown has been a nightmare, so to get out for the day is absolute heaven. We're over the moon. Elaine and Percy Mishy had travelled from Cambridge for the day, taking their children, Jake, Louise and Emily. We normally come every year. I've come every year since I was a kid. The park is planning to open every day from 11am. I think the strange thing is it doesn't feel like the school holidays, does it? Because everyone's been off school for so long. Now, a charity urges shoppers to visit the stores after the coronavirus closure leads to a funding shortfall. The Cancer Research UK is urging shoppers to help cover a devastating shortfall in funding by heading out to the charity's flagship store on its first day of reopening. It was almost a year ago that Gary Durling opened the Cancer Research Superstore at Gapton Hall in Great Yarmouth in memory of his father who died from lung cancer. But now the charity expects to see fundraising income drop by 30% as a result of the pandemic and the devastating three-month closure. And he wants shoppers to head to its outlets in an effort to sustain some vital clinical research. In a statement, the charity said, with its shops typically contributing more than £25 every year to vital research, Cancer Research UK has suffered a dramatic loss of income after a devastating closure of its stores. Customers are a key part of funding this research, so strict measures are being followed to ensure people in the town can shop, volunteer and donate goods safely. These include social distancing, hand sanitizer stations, cough guards at till points, face coverings and gloves for shop staff and volunteers. Additional cleaning and a 72-hour quarantine period for donated items. Steve O'Brien, the Superstore's manager, said to save lives tomorrow, we need the public's support today. So we want people to know we're making every effort to create a safe shopping experience. COVID-19 has hit us hard and after three long months and nearly a year since we first opened, we're delighted to be able to welcome new and familiar faces back through our doors again, as well as a host of new donations. Our shops are full of new and pre-loved items, fashion one-offs and homeware treasures, particularly after a lockdown clear-out. As well as being sold at bargain prices, every sale helps to fund our work. But right now, clinical trials are being postponed and we're having to delay vital research. That's why we're asking our customers to do what they can, whether they shop, donate goods or volunteer their time. All are essential to help us keep breakthroughs for people with cancer. Um, All the charities are suffering, I believe. Now there's a new outdoor cinema promising a range of classics. Amaze Maze is hoping to grow a whole new audience with a drive-in cinema. Hertzies Fun Park in Hemsby is looking to start summer screenings as it bids to widen its offer and make the most of its site during the COVID-19 era of social distancing. 
the popular seaside venue, a farm diversification project for the Hearst family in Ormsby, has missed out on its Easter bonanza but will open as usual on July the 19th, all being with some restrictions and limits on numbers. As well as a maze maze with wider paths, the attraction is hoping to expand its offer with a new alcohol licence and planning permission to show films. If all goes to plan, screenings for some 60 vehicles will begin as early this month, with 80s classics like Top Gun and Footloose on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday nights throughout the summer. Robert Hurst said the new event was being planned with Outdoor Cinema Live. It's very exciting and something new for the area. We have the right location and the idea is that radios will tune into the sound so there's no noise pollution, he said. Meanwhile, there are also plans to sell alcohol at the fun park. We have a lot of mums on site, but we never get the dads, he said. Having a cold beer in the sunshine could be an extra draw. There is no proposal to serve alcohol at the drive-in cinema. Richard Hurst added, We have always wanted to do a bit more with the fun park if we can. We are opening for the summer as we would do normally, assuming that everything is okay at that point. We have designed the maze with wider paths so people can socially distance inside it. Hopefully it won't be very different, but we will have to limit numbers. There were also loose plans to develop the farm shop in North Road, where a licence application has been made to also sell alcohol. Mr Hurst said those ideas were still being worked out, but could include a tea room on the site which has been well supported during lockdown, selling a range of vegetables, plants, salad, meat and dairy products. Now a large cruise ship has been laid off the east coast with no guests on board. Aerial pictures of the cruise ship taken sheltering off the east coast reveal empty decks and an abundance of places around the usually packed pools. The Queen Victoria has been sitting off the coast at Lowestoft since the weekend, providing an unusual spectacle for local people watching it from the shore. The ship, a Vista-class cruise ship operated by the Cunard Line, is currently at anchor some three miles off Kessingland and is likely to be staying until July the 15th. A spokesman for Cunard said Queen Victoria moved to Lowestoft over the weekend owing to the weather conditions in the pool anchorage. The ship is currently planned to remain there until July the 15th and we would like to extend our thanks to the port authorities in Lowestoft for enabling us to be there, especially as we are celebrating Cunard's 180th birthday this weekend. Pictures taken by flying lensman Mike Page give a close-up view of the liner, which is operating with a skeleton crew and not a single guest on board although it has capacity to host more than 2,000. Cunard has said it has suspended its cruises until November, and Queen Victoria is the smallest of the Cunard ships in operation. Her facilities include seven restaurants, 13 bars, three swimming pools, a ballroom and a theatre. Left with a surplus of food following the lockdown, Queen Victoria, alongside Queen Mary II, both currently moored in UK waters with no guests on board, donated some 23 tonnes of their supplies to UK food rescue charity called UK Harvest. The food donations from both ships were made up of frozen and chilled fruit and veg 
in addition to staple pantry food, cereal and chocolate. The Queen Victoria undertook her maiden voyage in December 2007. Now a gymnastics club is looking for a new base. An empty industrial unit could be transformed into a brand new gymnastics hall if planners give the go-ahead. Plans submitted to Great Yarmouth Borough Council reveal that East Anglia Gymnastics has its eyes on an empty unit at Harfrey's Industrial Estate for the club's new headquarters. According to the applicant, Ashley Moore, the empty building will be simple to renovate, requiring just a lick of paint. If it gives the green light, his plans would see the unit, formerly the site of East Coast Pipe Services, converted into a new gymnastics hall as well as kitchen and office space for the reception staff. The goal is to hold year-long gymnastics classes for children and adults at all ability levels, with lessons running from 9am to 9pm Monday through to Sunday. There'll also be openings for two new full-time coaches and five or more part-time members of staff. Currently, Mr Moore holds classes for his members at Great Yarmouth Charter Academy and the Water Lane Leisure Centre in Lowestoft, but said he's keen to expand and for the company to have its own space. Mr Moore, who runs the business alongside fellow head coach Ben Walker, is just 26 but has been coaching since he was 15. East Anglia Gymnastics was set up in April 2019 and has grown massively in the time. His younger gymnasts have gone on to compete nationally and there are already 300 members across the club's coaching network. He said, I got into gymnastics around the age of 13 alongside Ben. Before then, we'd been free runners. I wanted to learn how to do more somersaults and that kind of thing. So getting into gymnastics seemed like the next logical step. Everyone thinks of free running and gymnastics as those scary and impossible sports. But you just need to take it slowly and build up your skill set, like you would with any other sport. According to Mr Moore, one of the venture's key objectives is to train up younger coaches. He said, we've got a leadership programme which encourages our older gymnasts to build up a logbook of experience, so that they can go on to become professional coaches themselves. We are keen to give kids in Great Yarmouth the same opportunity. And want to stress that gymnastics is really for anyone who wants to get involved. Now more about opening up restaurants this weekend. As many Norfolk eateries welcome customers indoors for the first time since March, local owners have described the experience as positive but strange. Louise Elms, whose family run the Philby Bridge restaurant and have done for 37 years, said everything went smoothly on Saturday after months of takeaway only. But she added the best world to sum up the day's events was strange. She said the weekend went well, it was full, or at least the new full, and takeaway orders kept up with the lockdown levels. Everything was brought to the customer's table. Everyone complied with the need to provide their details for track and trace. Each household remained two metres apart. It was positive and encouraging, but very strange. Likewise, Simon Wainwright, Saturday evening at his SW1 Galston restaurant, was weird but enjoyable. He said, we had nine tables inside and a reduced capacity from 44 to 28. I was the only chef in the kitchen and the place was a lot quieter than usual. 
It was weird to see staff in visors and to see empty tables without cutlery, condiments or napkins. I felt like we were guinea pigs in a way and that other restaurants who haven't yet opened would have their eyes on us to see if and how things worked. Though it's clear the industry has changed forever, I really enjoyed the evening and liked the new setup. I might keep it this way even after coronavirus, he said. And Lorna Bevan at the Lake and Arms in Hemsby echoed this positivity. She said we got some great reviews from customers expressing how safe they felt. My team went for visors rather than masks when serving, as I think it's important you can see people's faces. That's how we will bring humanity back into the industry after so long behind closed doors. I have to say, as far as my own business is concerned, the Imperial Hotel, we've decided not to open until the 1st of August, simply because the legislation is very unclear and we want to see how things go. Now, a village thanks its local pub for supporting them during lockdown. A village has raised a toast to a local inn to show its appreciation to the landlady and her team for supporting residents during lockdown. Alistair Brewster, her partner Steve Upton and baker Aaron Hansen of the Ferry Inn in Stokesby have been delivering takeaway meals and cakes free of charge and doing residents shopping since late March. They have also opened a new village shop with a delicatessen in the old games room. Miss Brewster was prevented with a painting of her old English sheepdogs, Digby and Dougal, given by Stokesby artist Jacqueline Cater, and a collection of cards from the villagers. Richard Ager thanked the Ferry Inn team on behalf of the village, and Tina Webster said they had been a lifeline for the vulnerable and the disabled. Miss Brewster said, We're so happy to have been able to help out during such an unprecedented time. We just wanted to make sure that everyone was looked after and had what they needed without the worry of going anywhere. I'm glad it made a difference and we could be of help. At the start of lockdown when it was first announced, I honestly feared for the business's future, as I'm sure many pubs did. But the Stokesby community very quickly came together in support and I knew it was going to be okay. Thank you for supporting us. It honestly meant the world. The pub is open 8am to 10pm daily. Breakfast are served in its riverside garden and lunches and dinners are available too. Now, village residents are warned about the water. Residents of Reedham and the surrounding areas could be affected by a disturbance of iron sediments in the water main, Anglian Water have said. As a result, some people may have brown, orange or yellow discoloured water coming through their taps, showers and toilets. In a notice on their website, Anglian Water said, Iron in the water is harmless and is usually short-lived, but we are carrying out localised flushing to remove the discoloration. If discoloured water is already in a pipe, then it needs to work its way through the system in order to get rid of it. Advice for those experiencing water discoloration includes running the taps for 30 minutes or more and avoiding doing laundry in order to avoid the staining of your clothes. Now, six people were arrested over the weekend for drunken disorderly behaviour as Norfolk pubs pulled pints for the first time since March. However, Norfolk Constabulary has largely praised the way the county conducted itself on the first night of eased lockdown, 
with two of Norfolk's main locations seeing no arrests. All six of the nighttime economy arrests for drunken disorderly behaviour and assault came in the Great Yarmouth Borough, with four made on Marine Parade in the town and two in Caister. The force brace itself for a busy evening by putting additional officers on duty across the region, in case of any trouble as people returned to pubs and bars. However, no pub-goers were arrested in either Norwich or Kings Lynn. Dave Marshall, Chief Superintendent of Norfolk Constabulary, said we had sufficient resources in place and additional officers on duty to make sure pub-goers enjoyed themselves safely. We responded to a handful of incidents relating to assaults and disorder inside premises, but overall people were well behaved and the day passed without major incident. Meanwhile, the East of England Ambulance Service reported one of its busiest nights in weeks, at some points in the evening, receiving double the number of calls on July the 4th than it did on the first Saturday in June. Marcus Bailey, Chief Operating Officer, said thankfully the alcohol-related calls that we could have expected weren't as high. There was a small increase in some of the calls for assaults, but it was still a very busy night. Thanks, Aileen. More news coming up shortly. Well, I have a couple of short quiz sessions for you this week, one now and one after the second part of the news, which I hope you'll enjoy. And the first one coming up right now is five questions of general knowledge. Right. Everyone knows which Dickens character said, please, sir, I want some more, in a pathetic voice. But who knows which one said, it is a far, far better thing I do than I have ever done. Who said, which Dickens character said, it is a far, far better thing I do than I have ever done. Next question, which countries make up the British Isles? Which countries make up the British Isles? Number three, whose motto is Nation shall speak peace unto nation. Nation shall speak peace unto nation. Number four, Nestle acquired a raft of classic British chocolate products in 1988 and they're all now Nestle branded. However, how were the original Kit Kat and Quality Street branded before that date? That's two separate brandings for Kit Kat and Quality Street. And the last question for this particular part of the quiz. Apart from fleas, what is in common between the Justinian plague in the 6th century and the Black Death in the 14th century. So apart from fleas, what do the Justinian plague from the 6th century and the Black Death from the 14th century have in common? Answers as usual at the end of this week's recording. But now, the second part of the news. Now, bring a towel and wipe down is the advice for outdoor gyms and play areas. 
Relief is in store for fitness fans and children who have looked longingly at equipment declared off-limits during lockdown. In common with much of the leisure and hospitality sector, the government has said outdoor gyms and play areas can reopen from July the 4th. Across Great Yarmouth, it means allowing access to some 80 facilities, which the Borough Council says people have been using anyway, despite attempts to close them. In a statement, the Yarmouth Borough Council said we have more than 80 play areas spread across the borough, containing hundreds of individual pieces of play equipment. Even during peak lockdown, when closed signage was put up and the grass allowed to grow at play areas to deter usage, we had reports that some were still in use by some families. Many of our play areas are not fenced, and those that are have very low fencing. With play areas now allowed to reopen, there is community expectation they should be open and usage will increase whether they are officially open or not. We're therefore taking a practical common sense approach of reopening all play areas from mid-July, although providing clear guidance at each site to encourage social distancing and safe and responsible usage by those families who choose to use play areas. Crucially, please wash your hands prior to arrival. Use hand sanitizer or wipes if you have some and ensure you wash your hands as soon as you return home. If using the outdoor gym, users are asked to bring your own towel and hygiene products and wipe down equipment after use, alongside providing the additional guidance on responsible usage. The council will continue its routine health and safety inspections of equipment. The spokesman added that the reopening would be faced with some likely to be in use earlier than others, as signs were put up and the grass was cut. People will see the site has officially reopened when the signage goes up, he added. Now more about the opening on the seafront. Coins rattled again along the Great Yarmouth seafront as arcades reopened after three months of lockdown. But the feeling among business owners was a mixture of disappointment and restrained anticipation. The two-penny pinball and claw machines, first-person shooters and airplane simulators were booted up again on Saturday the 4th of July as restrictions on social life were further loosened across England. Terry Duncan, manager of Caesars Palace, an arcade on the seafront, said it's been a long time coming. It's been very steady today. People are coming in and walking out again, but every time somebody touches something, we have to clean it. We're trying to be as vigilant as we can. It's a learning curve. We've brought extra staff on today, more than on a normal shift. He said some of the machines have been switched off for three months and they were taking extra time to warm up. Different issues come to light once you do reopen. It's just nice to be open and the people we've spoken to today have said it's nice to be out. Hopefully we'll get a few weeks under our belt. We have eight weeks before the kids go back to school, he said. Sarah Daniels, managing director of Pirates Cove and Castaway Island Crazy Golf was disappointed. It's very quiet. We were expecting a few more people to be about, she said. We're relying on the next six to eight weeks to make our money for the year. After that, the kids are back at school. We've never seen anything like this. It's very surreal. I'm very deflated because you put so much time and effort into making the place COVID secure and then nobody comes. The attractions had been closed since October last year. 
Further along the Golden Mile, Mark Lloyd, who drives the train between Joyland and the Pleasure Beach, was taking a break while waiting for passengers. He said, I think a lot of people are being reserved, but I think it will build up. Usually we'd really be rammed this time of year. The season starts at Easter and builds up from that. But it feels just like Easter now, he said. Now, again, it's another one about opening up and pub owners. There was a buzz about the town as punters in Great Yarmouth headed to their favourite pubs for the first time in what felt like forever. And despite fears that weather might impact footfall, most places had a steady stream of customers, sitting both inside and out. For the theatre tavern, things had gone far better than expected as staff settled into the new normal. Owners Sarah and Gary Hamer were thrilled by just how many pub-goers showed up and grateful that they were respecting the new social distancing rules. Now a man in his 50s was arrested by police following an incident on the Norfolk Broads and he has since been released on bail. He has to report back to officers at the end of July. The incident unfolded on Saturday the 4th of July at about 9.50pm amid concerns for the safety of a woman on a boat. A Norfolk police spokesman said officers were called to North River Road along the Norfolk Broads in Great Yarmouth following concerns for the safety of a woman on a boat. On arrival, officers arrested a male in his 50s in connection with the incident. He was questioned by Great Yarmouth Police. People in the area reported a large police response. There was also reports of a chase towards Braden Water. Officers were seen boarding the boat in what was described as a domestic incident. As part of the operation, it was seized by police and held overnight at Everett Marine Services along the River Bure. Pictures on social media show a small blue and white vessel flying a skull and crossbone flag cordoned off with police tape and an officer standing watch. Terry Everett of Everett Marine said he helped with the police response. We had to make chase with police and pick them up. I just helped with police. And it, as in the boat, came into our yard so they could look at it. The police were guarding it all night. The boat, not thought to be a hire craft, had since been taken away by whoever was responsible. Saturday was the first night people were allowed to stay overnight on their boats since lockdown was imposed in March. Now, hopes of a remote Broads pub revival are fading as the RSPB objects. Hopes of what was once one of Norfolk's most remote pubs being revived could be fading after a bid for a new licence was met with several objections. The Burney Arms, which is nestled in marshland in the hearts of the Broads, closed five years ago despite a campaign to save it. However, landlord William Hollocks has submitted a fresh licensing application for the defunct pub, with the idea of reviving part of it as a pub, cafe and bistro. With Broadland Council due to decide the application in the coming weeks, though, this hope may be fading with a number of objections from key organisations and neighbours already lodged against it. Among those opposed to the proposals are the RSPB, the Broads Authority, and those living close by. In an objection submitted on behalf of the RSPB Conservation Officer Ian Robinson, 
who raised concerns over late-night activity disturbing birds on the Burnie marshes and the waters nearby, posing a risk to pub patrons. He wrote the RSPB's primary concerns relate to the potential for the music and extended as to cause disturbance to species using the Braden Water estuary. The Broads Authority too raised concerns over safety with Asset Officer Angie O'Connor writing, This area of the Broads is tidal with fast-flowing water. Safety of patrons in the vicinity of the water, particularly late at night, would be a concern, especially given the remote location of the venue. This remoteness would limit immediate access for emergency vehicles. Other concerns relate to fears that outdoor music from the venue will spill over into the early hours. However, Mr Hollocks has said that this would cease at midnight. Mr Hollocks also said he would agree to a variety of conditions proposed by the police to prevent nuisance, including no use of an outdoor area after 1am, CCTV operating around the building and written risk assessments being provided for all ex events expecting more than 100 attendants. Mr Hollock said, We really think the pub could be viable and just want an opportunity to give it a go. Broadland Council will decide the application in due course. Now, it looks like the Nelson Monument will remain closed. As one monument to Nelson is targeted by vandals, another is likely to remain closed for the summer, it has emerged. The Norfolk Naval Pillar, or Britannia Monument, at Great Yarmouth South Deans, is set to be declared off-limits to heritage buffs, looking to climb its hundreds of steps. Kerry Robinson Payne, the monument's custodian, said a change in management and the impact of coronavirus meant this summer's schedule has been paused. Heightened tensions around race and heritage and questions about Admiral Lord Nelson's position on the slave trade meant there was also concerns about vandalism. In response, the former Great Yarmouth Mayor, who represent Labour's Nelson's Ward, said volunteer patrols have been stepped up with friends of the pillar doing their bit to defend it by keeping watch. She said there were concerns for the monument but that in Yarmouth people had been respectful and protective of the 144-foot pillar, which predates the column in Trafalgar Square. The attitude in the town was, it's ours, and we would go mad if anyone touches it, she added. Norfolk Police confirmed officers were monitoring the statue as part of their regular patrols in the area. Normally, the pillar would open on a Sunday for people to go up two at a time. But with the closure of the Nelson Museum and the long shadow of uncertainty by coronavirus, it seemed unlikely that would happen this year. News of its continued closure comes as a statue of Nelson in the close at Norwich Cathedral was sprayed with black graffiti. The damage was reported to the police and Norwich City Council and the Dean and Chapter of Norwich Cathedral said it was committed to reviewing the place of historical figures memorialised. Ms Kerry Robinson Payne said all the Nelson Ward councillors were extremely proud of the monument and where it stands. It really came from the people of Norfolk and it is a big honour to have had it placed here, she added. In terms of the attitude to Nelson, Yarmouth does not seem to be quite like Norwich, she said. In the city there was a bid to change the name of the council's Nelson Ward, a move that was fiercely resisted in the resort. 
Now, a bird story. Rare crane chicks have been caught on camera at close range in the Ant Valley for the first time. Despite their size, cranes are an elusive bird, especially in areas such as the relatively wild and remote ant broads and marshes where they are rarely seen. RSPB staff were unable to carry out usual monitoring procedure due to COVID-19 restrictions and furloughed staff and were unsure whether these elusive birds were breeding on site this year. Camera traps were put out just before lockdown restrictions were imposed. Camera traps are cameras placed outside and set to capture a photo when movement is detected. They are an important tool for collecting evidence of breeding birds without disturbing sensitive species. Once restrictions were lifted, the RSPB team were able to access the cameras and discover the gems captured, the first clear photos of crane chicks recorded at that site. Daniel Hercock, the RSPB warden, said we were not even sure the cranes were breeding this year. So to get this evidence, especially in the form of really clear photographs, is fantastic. Some very distant pictures were taken several years ago, but this is the first time we have caught close pictures of chicks on camera. We do a lot of work to maintain a good habitat for cranes, so it's wonderful to see our hard work is helping nature. Cranes are an unusual-looking bird with long legs and neck and distinctive white and black markings. In the 1600s, the birds were hunted to extinction and remained extinct for around 200 years. In 1979, three migrant cranes spent the winter in the Norfolk Broads and it was from these birds, supported by conservation efforts, that the English population grew. However, they are still a species in global decline and the RSPB estimates there to be around only 48 breeding pairs in the UK. The reserve where the cranes are breaking is not accessible to the public, and the RSPB does not want to share its precise location because the species is so rare and protective. Now, uh, Great Yarmouth School appoints a new principal. A new principal is stepping in at a school in Great Yarmouth, the town's Charter Academy, previously the Great Yarmouth Grammar School, part of the Inspiration Trust, has announced that Kevin Blakey, currently Director of Secondary Education at the Eastern Multi-Academy Trust, will take over the role in September. An announcement on the Academy's website states Mr Blakey has lots of experience working across the Inspiration Trust family of schools, having been principal at the Thetford Academy and East Point Academy as well as governor for Heatherset Academy. Last January, the Academy's former head teacher Barry Smith, who had been dogged by controversy for his strict approach to education, has left the school. Ian McIntosh, executive principal, said, I'm really excited to have Mr Blakey on board. I've worked with him before and know that he will achieve great things at Great Yarmouth Charter Academy. I couldn't imagine a better fit for our charter team, families and pupils. Our school has made incredible progress over the last couple of years and I look forward to seeing it continue on that trajectory. Mr McIntosh will continue as the school's executive principal for a handover period. He will then return to his role as Director of Inclusion for the Inspiration Trust. 
Mr McIntosh said, I'm pleased I could step in to support our team, families and pupils. I will be in school to help Mr Blakey settle into his new role and then will continue to work with all Inspiration Trust schools, including the Charter, to deliver our inclusion strategy. Mr Blakey said, I'm excited to be part of Great Yarmouth Charter Academy. As the new principal, my first priority is getting to know our pupils, families and the team, and the Charter way, of course. I'm pleased to be returning to the Inspiration Trust family, especially to lead a school that has made such impressive progress. A spokesperson from the Inspiration Trust, we're really pleased to appoint Kevin as the new principal. The school has made incredible movements and we look forward to seeing them continue on their journey to success. Thanks, Aileen. She'll be back with News 3 shortly. But first, our second mini-quiz. This one entitled Nut or Not? Or Do You Know Your Nuts From Your Droops? The following willy-nilly of their names are either nuts or droops, that is, seeds. Do you know which are which? So, are these nuts or are these not nuts, i.e. they're seeds? Number one, acorn. Number two, cashew nuts. Number three, Brazil nuts. Number four, chestnuts. And number five, hazelnuts. I'll run through those again. Number one, acorn. Number two, cashew nuts. Number three, Brazil nuts. Number four, chestnuts. And number five, hazelnuts. Nuts or seeds? We'll tell you at the end of this week's recording. Back with the news now, here's Aileen with the third and last part of the news. Now more about things returning to the so-called new normal. On the day Peter Jay would have lifted the curtain on his summer spectacular, he was glued to the TV waiting for the next government update. The Circus Impresario, whose purpose-built venue in Great Yarmouth is world famous and a huge asset to the town, is still in the dark as to when, if and how he can reopen. Meanwhile, he is busy processing refunds and issuing vouchers while preparations continue ahead of a hoped-for breakthrough. With COVID-19 set to cast a long shadow over the entertainment industry, whatever the outcome, he is still smiling and buoyed by support from well-wishers. Wednesday would have seen the premiere of the latest 2020 offering with acrobats and daredevil performers coming from all corners of the globe, amazing audiences on the East Coast. Instead, the auditorium, like all theatres, showing live performances is closed and a tentative reopening put back to July the 29th. It's frightening, Mr J said. We are still in the dark, but the public have been fantastic. So many have sent such nice emails, and some of them have been coming for years. It is heartwarming. Everyone is really behind us. We are just keeping our options open. We would have opened from today, but have now pushed that back until July the 29th. We are getting everything ready, and because we are a family, it can move quickly. 
His comments came as clowns and performers delivered a letter to number 10 calling for the urgent reopening of venues after lockdown, amid warnings that tented circuses could go bust in just a few weeks if there was no help. The Association of Circus Proprietors has said that performers have been reduced to using food banks to survive since circuses were shut down temporarily. Mr J said the situation was critical for tented circuses that relied on Easter and summer shows, whereas the Hippodrome could at least look to Halloween and Christmas. As purpose-built indoor theatres, he said the Hippodrome and Blackpool Tower were both in a unique position in terms of seating and performances, with no live singing or a single audience facing forward. On the plus side, he said being able to open his adventure golf in the former Windmill Theatre had been a boost, with a good amount of footfall. Now seaside communities have nothing to fear from the returning tourists. Caravan park bosses have told locals they have nothing to fear as tourists return to the Norfolk coast. Over the last weekend, traffic into Great Yarmouth was flowing but constant as caravan owners headed back to their second homes. At Havens Hopton, Caister-on-Sea and Belton sites, Regional Operations Director Gareth Brown said the new way of doing things was well received. He said the Haven Hideaway holidays, which began Monday the 6th of July, saw the parks, restaurant and bar facilities now open, but the amusements and the pools still closed, and these were designed for the community in mind. He said caravan owners were allowed to return to the parks on July the 4th, but holidaymakers could come from Monday. Under new distancing restrictions, the sites will be about half full though I'm sure many across Great Yarmouth villages are apprehensive about the return of tourists. I want to stress that they have nothing to fear. We have extensive precautions in place designed with the community in mind. He said that the hideaway holidays were designed to help keep people on park as far as possible and to help ease the strain on community resources as the coronavirus pandemic continued. He said people are very understanding about this new way of doing things. Only the restaurants and bar will be open on the park and for most part it seems people are cautious and actually rarely leaving their caravans. Mr Brown said that while arcade and entertainment venues along Great Yarmouth's Golden Mile might be keen for the return of tourists, the plan was to help keep Haven's guests away from supermarkets in particular. He said our supermarket prices on park have been brought much further in line with the high street, so there's less incentive for people to go shopping outside of the park. It's definitely not normal, but people are glad to be back, even if it's just a case of being with your family and enjoying the peace and quiet. In terms of protections on park, Mr Brown said that an app had been developed so that people could book an arrival slot, be notified of where their caravan was located and be checked in via a contactless system. He added, we've also got roving cleaning teams to make sure guests feel safe and protected. Now, a legal claim has been brought against a social club by the community centre which hosts it, following claims the former is insolvent and must disband. Caister-on-Sea Community Association was established 32 years ago by villagers who wanted to repurpose a local infant school for the community's use. 
Caster Social Club was formed shortly after as a way of generating income, operating as a separate entity. But following the impact of the coronavirus pandemic, the CCA has declared the social club insolvent. Now, a legal claim has been brought by the CCA against the club, ordering them to vacate the premises and pay the outstanding fees. In a statement released by the CCA on Facebook, it claimed the pandemic has presented it with a predicted drop in income and that the nature of the social club meant future attendance would likely decline. It said the CCA can't justify propping up a company whose purpose is for income generation when it's not predicted to generate any income. But chairman of Caster Social Club, Ray Bamwell, wholeheartedly disputes the statements made by the CCA and said its claims of insolvency were not true. He said there's no denying the pandemic has hit the club, but we're keen to reopen and bring back members to help kickstart trade. We are a thriving local club and a key part of the community. Mr Banwell said there was a split amongst the members of the CECA, with some even launching a crowdfunder to raise money for the social club's appeal. The crowdfunder has reached nearly £3,000 in the space of a week. CCA was approached for comment but redirected us to the Charities Commission. A spokeswoman for the Commission said, We can confirm that the Caster Community Association has reported a serious incident to us relating to the charity's relationship with the social club and a dispute among trustees about the future. We have provided advice to the trustees on trading and on managing disputes. It is now for them to resolve the matter. According to Mr Banwell, as far as the social club is concerned, the resolution is taking place this Friday at a special general meeting requested by members to discuss the issue and to elect new trustee members that will make up the number shortfall in the current committee. Now finally, have a holiday as a call to join an inspirational Norfolk teenager. It's not quite the deep dark forest where survival skills will be tested and campfire songs sung, but there are a couple of guinea pigs and a particularly friendly cat helping inspirational scout Holly Porter through her lockdown campaign challenge. The 14-year-old is spending a 100 nights under canvas in her back garden in Ormsby as she makes a promise to do her best in true scout tradition. And a call is being made for everyone to pitch in on her final night, July the 29th, by sleeping in their gardens too. At 80 days in, the weather has thrown everything at her. The tent has ripped multiple times. It's been either too hot, too cold or too noisy, thanks to the seagulls. But she has the best of inspirations, her dad, and the charity that has helped her in the wake of his sudden death last year, aged 49. Having set a target of £100 for Norfolk-based bereavement charity Nelson's Journey, she is now up to more than a 1000 boosted by support from TV scientist Professor Ben Garrard and celebrity scout ambassadors rower Helen Glover and animal adventurer Steve Bagshaw. Holly, a member of the first case to scout group, normally shares a bedroom with her sister Daisy, who is 16, and initially only planned a few alfresco sleeps to gain a night away badge. 
It's really, really cold at night, but in the morning the sun hits you, she said. The week it was roasting, I was up at 5am and then the tent ripped during the high winds. The best thing is having my own space, and it is nice at night hearing the rain. It's really relaxing. The worst thing is the hot mornings when I have to open it all up. She joined the Scouts from Brownies four years ago and says the organisation is everything. A top archer and award-winning Norfolk shooter, she is also a patrol leader. I just love Scouts, she said. I like being more active and the Scouts gives me that. Mum, Annette Kirk, hailed her daughter's get-on-with-it attitude, adding, She's amazing. She has always been one to get on with things and the Scouts has really brought that out in her. Holly said she felt lost when her dad, David Porter, died suddenly of a heart attack at his home in Norwich. Although her parents had separated, she spent every other weekend with him and said they were close. Memory activities and outward-bound fund at Sheringham with other children also coping with loss had really helped, she said, all paid for and provided by Nelson's journey. It's just amazing that they can do that, especially for people that haven't got any money, she said. Holly, who wants to work with animals, said the sleep out and fundraising was a way to remember her dad, not just for her, but for everyone who knew him. Video messages prepared by leading lights in the scout movement had been a real boost, she added. It's just nice to know people are behind you. They all know how close this is to my heart, she said. Impressed by her determination, Norfolk Scouts are now calling on as many people as possible to camp in their garden or build a den in the living room on Wednesday, July the 29th to show their support for Holly on her final 100th night. The call to action involves a clap for Holly at 8pm which can be shared on social media via at Norfolk Scouts. They are also asking people to consider donating a suggested £3 pitch fee to Holly's fundraising total. Matthew Burrell, Norfolk Scouts County Commissioner, said the whole team at Norfolk Scouts are inspired by Holly's courage and resilience. She is demonstrating what we're seeing time and again, that young people are being resourceful and making the most of this unique time. Holly has just taken things to the next level to help other people. Now that's all the news I've got for this week, I think, and I'm heading up to Scotland, I hope, next week, if I'm allowed to see my mum. I haven't seen my mum since February. She's 87 and has been pretty lonely up in Scotland. I'm also planning a haircut this week, so all the, all the things that we look forward to. So I hope the weather stays good for you. Stay away from that horrible corona. Take care. It's Aileen wishing you well this week. Bye for now. Yes, once again, the end approacheth. First, though, the answers for the two short quizzes. The general knowledge round, which Dickens' character said, it's a far, far better thing I do than I've ever done, or something very close to that. That was Sidney Carton, just before he had a haircut on the guillotine in A Tale of Two Cities. Which countries make up the British Isles? Those are England, Scotland, Wales and the whole island of Ireland. The British Isles being a geographical term, not political. 
Nation shall speak peace unto nation is the motto of the BBC. And how were Kit Kat and Quality Street originally branded? Well, Round Tree and Macintosh is the answer. And what did the Justinian Plague and the Black Death have in common? They were both the bubonic plague. Onto the nuts and seeds. The acorn is a nut. Cashew nuts are seeds. Brazil nuts are seeds. Chestnuts are nuts, as indeed are hazelnuts. Hope that a couple of quizzes gave you a few things to think about. In the meantime, let me tell you that volume 40, number 27, is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The content in the main is adapted from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made on this recording. Well, there we are from Aileen and myself. It's bye for now. And we hope that you will join us next week for much, much more local news. Bye for now.